1: hello again this is buck benny speaking i'm joined with my friend bob my friend jim and we're covering the season finale of star trek next strange new worlds um and uh, strange new worlds has uh, been a joy to watch and it's been where uh, folks have really really said that this series is and this season itself has been one of their favorite star trek seasons of all time um Kind of hard to compare it in a little bit because it's only 10 episodes long, and every, all the other Star Trek series more or less have had to do their 26 or something, and so, or 22 at least. And that, you know, that you're going to have some more uh, episodes that aren't quite as stellar if you're going to have that long a season. With 10, you should be able to make a pretty decent 10 episodes you would think. And they've done a pretty good job of it. Anyway, uh, for the season finale, uh, we have, um, well, spoilers first. Go uh, watch the episode if you haven't watched it yet. Uh, This one is kind of a strange combining of uh, Strange New Worlds and the, uh, Jim's face is disappearing. I love that. Uh, (laughs) Strange New Worlds and the original Star Trek uh, episode, Balance of Terror. Uh, From season one of uh, the original Star Trek series, Um, I'll go with Bob first. Bob, uh, what did you like the fact that they were kind of revisiting that episode, or was it weird, or I don't know? What did you think?
2: It was interesting. Yeah, and they put a sort of a new twist on Pike. I think it was. It's one of those things where you have the original, and so you really gotta be careful because that episode is so stellar in the original series that you're almost in a no-win situation just out of the start. But yeah. it was I thought it was interesting the way they, they tied in uh you know Pikes trying to change the timeline right. and his future self coming back. Yeah, no, I like the episode. I just think you're, when when you're going to do that, you really got to be careful what you do because you're going against one of the top episodes in the original series. Right. And I thought having the
1: older Pike come on, I thought Anson Mountain did a pretty good job of acting like an older Pike. He still seemed very Pike-like. If anything, he may have played him a little too old sometimes with the just the way he made his voice, kind of different, kind of kind of like a gravelly sound. Like, you
3: know,
1: yeah, it just seemed like because I mean, certainly the character. Well, it was it was the he was playing it from the Wrath of Khan sort of era is where he was playing his future.
4: Yeah, so, he, so he would be quite a bit older. I mean,
1: yeah, but know. Kirk was older, but he didn't seem.
4: Ancient, but I, yeah, yeah, but, Kirk, but Kirk is, is younger than Pike.
1: Correct.
3: So yeah, Pike would have
4: been even older than Kirk. So, yeah, know.
3: yeah. And I mean, I'm not going to. I mean, I, good good job, like, I mean about...
1: you know what? It was an acting choice, and it was fine. I mean, it's, I'm glad he didn't play him as doddering sort of. Oh. Well,
3: so good to see you. So... <laughs> so
1: great, but <Okay. laughs> you shouldn't change the past. I think uh, changing your future would be uh, bad, bad, bad. Uh, No, uh, so I'm glad they didn't have me play Pike. Let me put it that way. (laughs) That's
4: a pretty good impression. Spot on. But 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 we're not going to get into politics here. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Anyway. uh,
1: (laughs) Yeah. So no, I thought I thought introduce uh, and and. It was a nice little cheat that they have little crystals there. To all he has to do is touch the crystal; they don't have to figure out how to slingshot into the future or anything like that. It's more of a well,
4: oh, the time crystals. I didn't know that they could actually send you in time. I thought they just showed you the future or whatever. I didn't realize they. And I, they I thought a had- time, so who knows? They it was one of these. It, they're one of these.
1: Well, they're they're your what is that called? What did a uh, what did uh, Alfred Hitchcock call those things? Uh, Anything that was uh, not the red herring. It was the, he had a name for it, but anyway, it was, it was anything that would allow the plot to go where the plot needed to go. And they were just kind of a cheat that you would do whatever. I mean, that's essentially where these crystals are. These crystals are time crystals. So do they change time in your head? Do they have you actually travel to a different time? This was, I mean, the whole thing, when he touched the crystals, we could have just been seeing inside his head and this was just his head playing this out and this was nothing that actually happened, right? So,
4: Or or, (laughs) when when he first touched the crystals and he saw his future death, maybe he wasn't seeing his future death, but he was actually transported into his future body experiencing his future death. Right. So he was actually in that time frame not just it was
1: just shorter it was just just
4: not seeing it in his his mind because i always thought of it like oh he was just you know seeing it in his head of what it was going to happen but maybe he actually did transport to his body in the future and actually lived through that and then uh you know so that would be kind of the same thing he just did now he just transport. now how he
1: matters too much which way it is i would just say that that you're right in that they both should be interpreted as the same way. So either, either both times he actually moved into the future and and lived through the, the thing to make it more real, right? Or both times it was in his mind, but it was so
4: real it felt like he lived through
2: it. I guess it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, because yeah. if you experience it in your mind, you're experiencing it,
4: right? Question is, how do they say that he can that the older Pike can go back in time and actually show up within? Yeah, so we must that's a, that's a little different, but anyway Yeah,
2: I think one I mean, thing they did better in this episode is than the originals they explain stuff a little better like in the original they kind of just don't explain how they're tracking the ship exactly Right or how, why the ship can't see them so they did a, a
4: little bit better job with that, I thought, in this episode I, I, I actually really liked this episode I think it was the, the best one of the season for me hmm I, I I liked it. I, lo- I I liked how they tied it into the original series. You know, I just I just liked everything about it. You know, they they tied it in so you got this you got to see the the original episode reimagined how it would have happened if Pike was there instead of Kirk, and so you, so I yeah I just liked it all around.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was well certainly well written and well thought out. I don't know how you would write this much better than they did. Yeah. Um, if, if you're going to go there and you're going to say, okay, we're going to relive this episode with, like you said, just, just like Jim had stated with Pike, you can't, I don't, I don't know what you do better than this. Uh, other than the only frustrating thing to me, which made me not enjoy it as much. The first time I watched, it, I watched it a second time and I enjoyed it more is I like Pike so well that I don't like them w- When they undermine and act like, okay, well, Pike's way of dealing with things, it's more of a diplomatic way of dealing with things or trying to come up with police, uh, peaceful solutions to things. They're like, well, that in this case, that caused a problem that would not be good. And they've done that a couple times this season. Yeah. Kind of undermines their character. If you did it once for the season, that'd be one thing. But if you do it two or three times, it makes it feel like you're saying, well, that's actually a weakness to the character, not a strength to the character. And to me, I see that as a strength. And I don't like
2: it pointed out as a weakness multiple times. Yeah. And they also did that to him. And I thought the way they treated him that one episode where they're in their daughter's head or whatever, I didn't like that treatment of him either. Right. I kind of didn't like this either. But. I think, I don't know, I'm with with the you two guys, but I still can't. It's still as good as it is. It still doesn't hold up to the original. Right. I think the original is way more taut. I don't I don't know. If this one they mixed like the next gen, the fleet shows up stuff in discoveries the same way with the original. It's just not quite as as
4: well. Like- it was more more suspense, I think more suspense in the original. Yeah. You know. Um, I don't agree. I think it's the first. What's that? I think, I think it's the reverse. I, I think, think you both just agree with each
1: other and said you didn't. So <laughs> you're saying Bob you're you're saying the original the the TOS episode with Kirk in it Balance it of terror is more suspenseful than this episode. Yes.
4: Right, and that's what I'm That's saying. what Jim just said. The original oh, no. the original yeah. had was more suspenseful than I guess I guess
2: you kind of lose the suspense though when you've already got the timeline. You already know the because in the original you're discovering them these, you know, the Romulans, what their capabilities are. This one you already kind of know from the original, right? So it's harder to be
1: Yeah, I might put it as this one's less suspenseful but more insightful into the characters and, and things, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, was no, interesting having that. having them show up. At the same both deal with the couple getting married, and then the original the groom dies by the end of the episode, and in this one, the bride dies by the end of the episode. So I thought that was an interesting kind of bookending piece to do, mirror image or whatever. Um I thought the they did a good job of making Spock look like he was. Pretty messed up at the end of the episode. um I thought that was effective, and and I I love the scene with Spock and Kirk uh, Spock and Pike at the end, where they're talking, and Spock's like, "I feel like I owe you something, but I don't know why or I don't know what's going on." You know, he kind of figured part of it out. It seemed like. Um, but it was, it was just good dialogue and a good piece there and making you see tie into how Spock would feel like he owed Pike something to even beyond, and so when the menagerie happens, it makes sense that he puts everything on the line to try and save Pike. Um,
4: yeah, because Pike went into his future knowing it was going to be a horrible. You know, right, part was going to be saving Spock from
5: having a horrible
2: future so. yeah. and probably also since there's a war probably hundreds of thousands of other people right? Millions probably I mean they, they focus on Spock but now they got a war with the wrong ones. and the wrong right. ones are, asking, I'm sorry get the butt kicked
3: yeah yeah
1: <laughs> yeah so I mean it showed that this uh, he knows that he pretty much have to accept his fate At this point and stop fighting against it because he's been sort of fighting against it or trying to figure out how he can sidestep it this whole time. And now going forward from season two on, I don't think that's going to be the case. He's just going to try and do the best he can with the time he has left. Right. Um, Unfortunately, he doesn't know the end of the menagerie, the part where he actually goes back to Talos and th- that whole piece. Um I think it'd be a lot easier to accept if you if you knew that piece to the puzzle was coming as well and you weren't just going to be in the chair forever.
3: Um beep. <laughs> <Yeah>. beep. <laughs>
1: <Sorry>. <laughs> I would be spending my time learning, making sure I knew Morris code and things, so if I was yeah,
3: <laughs> beep, 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 beep. yeah. yeah.
1: Communicate a little better.
2: <laughs> that's, that's, kinda, yeah, that's going to be hard to fix because it, like when you see all those eh, those augmented people in Discovery, and now all they give them this, like we said this a million times, they put them in a box with a blinky light. <laughs> <I'm
1: sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'd be seeking uh, out uh, his generation's doctor soon because he's got to have a version of himself out there <laughs> specializes <laughs> in this sort of thing can you, can you make kind of a body that works better than a beeping
2: box <laughs> yeah. like a wheelchair mixed with a box yeah light on or,
4: or, or maybe at least a box that has two lights you know like a green <laughs> a red one or something yeah. <laughs> or just a, a digital screen that like can
3: Print out what you. What <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 I mean, but whatever. We need to accept what we accept. So, uh, yeah, I'd say as as, an, as a season-ending episode, it, I thought it did a good job of of raising the stakes, seeming bigger, seeming like a good ending episode for the season. Yeah,
4: um, I kind of thought they were going to have a two-parter for the season for the ender for the ending. You know, yeah. with with the nine and ten being part of the same one, but I was kind of surprised. I
3: thought so too. I
1: thought they were even called like the same title, but I guess that was wrong or something. I don't know.
2: What, what, uh, so what do you guys think of Kirk?
4: This guy playing Kirk, I still think he looks like JFK more, more than Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't look much, he doesn't look much like, like Kirk, but that's fine. I really, act like- does Pike look like the original Pike? this number Close, one, I closer
1: number one a little closer yeah uh,
4: yeah
1: it's sort of how they act too right I mean and, and this actor chose not to do the whole kirkisms so much and uh, I can respect that it, bec- becomes, it becomes becomes a we crazy impression the yeah. they're right there in front of us we can take them out. <laughs> yeah, so he decided. You know, Bob and I would have definitely gone with the whole Kirk. <laughs> something. <laughs> dis- yeah,
3: could
4: you imagine Kirk, just Kirk's, doing a, a play off of of Shatner playing Kirk and oh yeah, you say
2: <laughs> Also, a good thing about Kirk is he seems a little more arrogant than this actor played him. Kirk's kind of. Yeah. A little conceited.
3: Yes.
4: Well, he's got time to to get there. You know, he's, he's still got you know ten years or so. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they're and they're
1: playing this one. The writers were saying they were playing this one be, a little differently because he's he hasn't been. You know, certainly Balance of Terror was into him being the captain of the ship for a little while, and he was. Uh, captain of a starship i mean this is a, the flagship of the fleet right so forth whereas now he's the captain of the farragut which is not of the same level sort of thing we don't know how long he's been captain of the farragut i don't believe they said he's been captain for three years or two years or anything like that it was just sort of
4: oh, that's right I, I was thinking i was thinking that 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 was just an early version of kirk and he still had time to Get to where he was at the end. And no. really, it wasn't because you jump forward into the future. Right. I was Kirk at this the This was
1: Kirk time. as in season one, mid season one of it should have been Kirk at his, probably the peak of his powers, really, uh, if following the the correct timeline. Now, with, with Pike's altered timeline, who knows?
4: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Then should have been, uh, should have been more arrogant and assertive. I think but probably
2: There's, there was another th- comment that that. Sorry, Jim, I cut you off.
4: No, no, that's fine. I'm used to it. That that. that <laughs> uh, great. Go ahead, so Bob me or Daryl. Team.
1: Bob, go ahead. So Barry. there was a. Well, there was I have something to say. I just <laughs>
4: <laughs> there was a, yeah. See how so, it so, feels, Bob. See
1: how it feels with Tony <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Bob. You didn't cut me. There was a doesn't was feel a, good, doesn't
2: Bob? <laughs> <laughs> it's usually not me though, at least by my procession, I'm always the one getting no, cut no.
1: off. But- it's usually me. I you guys are nice enough to not point it out, but I'm usually I can't I tend to talk a lot. So uh but anyway, I'll i I'll shut up now. Bob, go ahead.
2: <laughs> so there was Pike makes this comment to Kirk: "You're a good captain, and Enterprise would do good with you, or something like on those lines." But how does he know that? In the timeline, he's not in. Kirk is the captain. Didn't didn't that scene happen or did I imagine it? <laughs> <laughs> he's like talking to him in the, in his in his like.
4: I don't know. Do you think so or not really?
3: <laughs>
4: yeah. I think so. I'm not sure.
1: So, how does well, he tell I, me he's the captain of the Farragut? In his, in well, his. I know,
2: but he's saying the Enterprise like would deserve you, or you'd be great with the Enterprise, you're gonna be great on the Enterprise, or something like he knows that Kirk is gonna be captain.
3: Oh,
1: I don't know. I think it's probably a play on words if you listen back to it, and like you're gonna be great here now with me on the enterprise sort of thing and but the way it's written it can be heard either way they love to do that kind of stuff where they write something where as fans we go oh he's really gonna be the captain though (laughs) no he didn't i don't think he let anything away also i didn't realize uh on the after show on, on ready room will wheaton was like all geeking out that it gotta be Kirk and Spock, you know, for the first time their first meeting you gotta see and things. And as they were talking about, it, he was like, I don't think we were into more than a scene or two together though, and is what Spock was saying. And the and the writer who was there said, yeah, we Plan it that way so that you ended up only having like one line of dialogue together, and it wasn't much. It was like Spock saying he was going to go do something, and then Kirk saying, "Yeah, go ahead or whatever." And but it just sort of just gave a little play on the role that they'll have in the future. Though the I,
3: thought, I thought I like thought the biggest thing
1: that together was in the in the the ready room, the actual ready room on the show. Not, not the television show, but it's the ready room on the Enterprise, where they're all, everybody's, he's got everybody together and they're all sharing ideas about how to defeat this thing. And Kirk's one of the people in the room and so is Spock. And so I thought that was the biggest scene sorted together, though they, I don't think they ever actually interacted in that scene other than saying their own point of
4: views. But, but they, but that scene now has never happened because that was an alternate future so that's gonna happen. So, yeah, right, right.
1: Right. So
4: so that could have been their first meeting, but it wasn't their first meeting. It wasn't really
1: their first meeting, no, no.
4: No.
1: I did like that scene in the uh ready room in that they had the same scene in the original Balance of Terror. And I don't know if you guys watched the video I shared with where they have the scenes back kind of going back and forth from the original and that. But I'd forgotten that scene from *Bounds of Terror* where they <clears throat> all shared their thoughts about this, and uh, and McCoy was there sharing a lot. And so I was wondering why did they have Doctor Mbanga there? But then I realized, oh, he was to say a lot of the lines that similar to what McCoy was saying. Mbanga had those lines that he was saying, and uh, and then Kirk. It was interesting having both Kirk and Pike in the room because, of course, originally you only had Kirk. And this way you sort of had two versions of the captain in the room at the same time. And then you had Spock coming on strong again and saying that, well, if they are if they are an offshoot of my Vulcan blood, which they appear to be, then it makes it even more important that we go and attack them, you know, that sort of thing. And then, and so Pike was standing up to kind of everybody and saying, I don't, that's not my way of doing this. I'm not gonna just go and attack somebody and blow them out of the sky. But shoulda. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. <laughs> no, I, I rate the episode very highly. I think I think it was a good episode. Um, I don't think it was like, to me, it wasn't one of the best still the best of the season for me was episode four. Um, it was just a really good solid episode, but I would I would put this pretty high. I think that it uh, I'd probably give probably give this one the acting. I'll give a double award to Pike because he plays future Pike and current Pike and every version of Pike you possibly can. And then also to uh, Spock, because Spock has to not be young Spock. He has to be a seven, uh, and he does a nice job of sort of playing it, toning down his emotionalness even more in this. And having to deliver lines that Nimoy delivered or deliver similar lines, they usually change. A lot of the lines, they kept the exact same. For the actors, especially like the guest actors and things that weren't irregulars. Like the guy on the, that was being attacked, they did a good, he he did a lot of the exact same lines, uh, both in the original version and this. Uh, the uh, Romulan Commander gave a lot of the similar, almost exact same lines. The people like Spock, they'd change them just a little bit because they didn't want to make him have to do the exact same line, the exact same way, I suppose. Um, but he did a good job with it. I I really wanted him to say fascinating at least once, but he didn't. Um, but I would, yeah, I'd, I'd give it to Spock too, Spock and, and Pike. What do you think, uh, Jim, is your favorite, like, characters in this episode, the ones that you think the actors did the best job or whatever? Uh,
4: yeah, probably Pike, I mean, it was kind of centered around Pike. Right. So, so he was, you know, definitely the, the main focus.
1: Well, it was, and it was the most, and unless I'm wrong, I mean, unless you can think of something else, but it was probably the most Pike centric episode of any of the episodes all season, really. Because it's pretty much all about Pike. It was kind of like, um, Inner Light from, from, uh, Next Generation or one of the, one of the, Picard centered where the whole thing's about Picard where it just follows him and his life sort of thing or whatever. But Bob, what did what did you think? Who were the best actors in this episode?
2: Probably Pike. Yeah. Gotta give a sec close second to Spock though.
1: Yeah, that's where I'm at. And then uh as far as I, I guess we need to do a rating on this thing. Um I'd rate it like a I'd probably rate it like a I can't remember where I've rated everything else, but I'm thinking like an 8.5 or a nine. I don't really want to rate it as the best episode of the season. Well, I definitely gave ten a ten to uh, episode four, so I guess I'm safe with going with nine. Bob, I'm going to give it a nine. Give I you,
2: I'd give it. I it you were
1: you didn't think it was that great of an episode to you, or whatever. But
2: no, I thought it was good. It just it doesn't. There's no way they can do this to hold up the original, right? Because it's, because it's you already have the plot line the original. So, but I thought it was the writing was interesting. The plot, the concept was interesting.
1: I guess yeah. The caveat throughout there is on, on our 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 one to ten scale we've been using all season. The original balance of, of terror gets a twelve. So there, yeah. You, I mean, really, I mean it's it's that good of an episode. It's beyond our normal scale. Uh, Jim, what is yours
4: thoughts on this one? I'd give it a 12. <laughs> <laughs> a 12. <laughs> no, I, I would give it a probably about a nine as well. Nine, nine okay. and a half. Yeah. It was it was probably my favorite episode of the season, I think.
1: Yeah. I can't remember what you I think episode four was before we were giving ratings or whatever, but what were you thinking of of because I think that's, it's interesting. That's, think that's in the one
4: where right? yeah,
1: I think in this episode and four is so interesting because four is also kind of another take on Balance of Terror, in that it's like that submarine sort of feel that Balance of Terror has, but it's against a different alien. It's 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 a uh, uh it's not it's not trying to be that episode, it's trying to be something different. But it's got a lot of pieces to it to remind you of that episode. Anyway, that yeah, that one was the was the one where they were fighting the Gorn. Never saw them, but it was all this submarine warfare sort of thing episode. And I I gave it a ten out of ten. I know that, but I don't know what, what you gave it. I I know it was really high.
4: Yeah, I would say like eight and a half, nine ish. Yeah. No, I, I just, just
3: a I, 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 for
4: you. This one, I put about a half a point higher right. than that one. Yeah.
1: That was my feeling of where you were at with this. So Yeah, sounds good for you. Uh, Bob, how would you rate four compared to this one, or do you remember four?
3: Oh, yeah,
2: I do remember four. Um, I'd probably also give it a nine. Okay. Maybe higher. I don't know. It's right in there. Yeah. Okay. But it, it is definitely sort of the same like you said, the same feel. And a lot of that, things in that episode were in some ways better than the original. Bit.
1: And the things what episode four? S-
2: some parts of it were uh, in some ways better. The balance of terror. Well, not so much the acting, more of the sort of logistic parts of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, you can't really beat the acting in balance of terror mo- e- easily. No.
1: Because there's even, I mean, if you go back and watch Balance of Terror, there's some great scenes with uh, McCoy and Kirk having some deep conversations about uh, the ways to pursue an enemy and that sort of thing, and and was he starting to be kind of like Captain Ahab or that that sort of area? And I think it's it's just
2: interesting. And, that and Nemo is really, really great in that episode too. Yes, he is. And Styles, yeah.
1: What and What do you guys think about these the Styles uh, when Erika is taking on the Styles role from the original Balance of Terror? I don't know if Jim even knows what I'm talking about, but where she's kind of the racist sort of one or something, but.
4: Um, yeah, I, I, I remember it from the original one when, when it sees the, the thing and has Spock. So,
1: I don't so, know. For gentlemen,
4: me, I'm going to interrupt you for just a second. I can
1: always edit this out. I have Kaku 3U. Has Yeah, any I, yeah you
4: need to let them in. I need to let Kaku in? Yeah.
1: Who's that? <laughs> Hello Kaku
3: it's so good to see you uh how have you been Kaku 3 you? Uh, that's
4: looking less like Kaku more like Jim <laughs> yeah I working I was I was trying to make it a oh let's see if i go like this or go like this um. <laughs>
1: I think this episode is definitely going to need some editing. I don't
4: know. <laughs> Can we? I mean, I'm just trying to get that infinite thing going on. Have some, a picture of me holding my oh. phone with a picture of me, holding my phone with a picture of me. Yeah, it's working great. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no, see? I'm like
1: a whole bunch it's of Almost more. infinitely stupid, but it's. <laughs>
2: Okay. Know, too many gyms. Many we'll still cut all of them off.
3: Yeah, <laughs> right, right.
2: Jet number twelve, shut up! I'm talking now. <laughs>
1: well, let's let's reflect on the season a little bit then. Um, I don't know. I, I guess let's chat about compared to like you know the modern stuff is it in the top end of that i mean it's, it's like discovery and picard and lower decks and uh what is the other one prodigy uh i don't know how how would you rate this compared
4: to all of that i i, I like it better in that it's not um like one big story the whole season right you know i, I like that it is. Uh, these individual episodes that stand alone. I like that format better.
3: Okay. Do you think
1: that now that this is so successful, do you think Discovery and Picard, well, Picard can't change a thing because Picard locked in its last season anyway, but do you think Discovery will in future seasons be a little less... Uh, Full season arcs, or do you think they're gonna keep it being something different in this?
4: I think they'll make it keep it something different. Yeah. You know they have this up this season, this one to to have individual episodes. They can make the other one still be a big long arcs.
1: Yeah. I mean it, well, they've shown show... over and over again that they want every series of the five series are all completely different from each other, right? There's yeah. nothing they they've definitely not. Gone with the whole. Oh, Voyager is going to be very similar to DS9. That's going to be very similar to Next Gen. They've done this whole thing where they're all completely different, and the time frames are all different for for all these episodes. They even, I mean, essentially, this series kicked Discovery out of their own time frame and had them jump ahead a thousand years to be in a different time space. I know it wasn't because of this episode, because of this series, but in a way it kind of was. The writers were kind of, were kind of going, oh, well, let's just move them somewhere that
2: else. That's because they were mucking with the canon too much. Right. And they wanted, wanted them they out of said, there.
1: But the thing is, now that they're going to muck with canon in this series anyway, it's like...
2: But not I'm like Yeah.
3: Right. Right. I mean,
2: well, just Discovery, spock Spox got, got a sister we never knew about in the original series.
1: Right. Of course, this series is gonna have Cybok in it that we haven't seen other than one part of one movie. <laughs> it never got mentioned again,
4: ever. Well, maybe he will never get it mentioned again in this series either. It'll just be that yeah. one little teaser Easter egg and that would that's the entire <laughs> entire thing you ever hear about him in this one. Never
1: know. I guess we'll see next season if they're gonna play with that or not. So yeah.
4: I mean, they could. They could have just pulled that in there just for that episode, and you just never hear about it again. Well,
1: I said online that to me, this season was such a top-notch season that I rated it as my favorite Star Trek season or whatever next to the original series first season, which I don't think will ever be topped. But as I looked back through and I looked at how strong the second season was of Star Trek, the original Star Trek, I, I think I'll say this ties with that season. It's better than the third season of Star Trek because it wasn't the third season wasn't great, um, of the original. But it certainly strikes me as better than everything else that's been come out since, which is a pretty amazing feat to pull that off. Um Bob, what are your thoughts about this season compared to other S- Star Trek seasons?
2: I definitely like it better than discovery. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of Picard, but for a different reason. I think it's because it's Picard and um, I think of a new stuff this is my favorite. Yeah. okay. but then then again, also like you said comparing. Your mind compares the best episodes from the original. There are some kind of not that great episodes that you don't see that often. Right. Right.
1: But of, of course, course all I, when, I, when I was comparing what I did to make it fair, or I thought, well, would be more fair, it's still not 100% fair. Compare 10 episodes. I took, I took the top 10 episodes of season one, what I thought was the top 10, and I wrote them all down. And I compared them to this and they were better, but on the other hand, that's not totally fair because you, they get 26 chances to get it right. Mm-hmm. right? And and these guys get 10 shots and that's it. They, everyone has to be a home run, you know, pull that off. And it's amazing that it hold this holds up as well as it does against cherry picking from the first season of Star Trek. Um, I did that with the second season of Star Trek and came up with eight like stellar episodes and then two that weren't so hot. Um, But I thought that's kind of in the ballpark of where this is. I'd say there are about eight stellar ones and a couple of them that weren't quite as good this season. So so that's why I placed it about the same place as, as that. But anything else I looked at, Next Generation or whatever, Even the best seasons, like season four is about the best season of that series. I think everyone would pretty much agree with the best of both worlds and so forth. But still you get about six or seven great, great episodes that are just classics. And then the rest of them aren't that. And so I don't know. It's kind of wild, but wild how much Star Trek there's been and just how you just wouldn't think you could come up with a new series that, and comparing it to whatever three hundred plus episodes that there's been in Star Trek over time, and that you'd go, "Wow, this is better than a lot of that." It's just amazing. So I got to take my hat off to the actors and the writers
2: of this thing. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And uh, think about think about it, how old that pilot is with Pi. You're talking half, more than half a century ago.
3: Yeah.
2: And it's still around.
3: Right.
1: Right. Well, like they're saying, if you if you want to take because essentially what they the writers everybody said they're they're essentially doing is you're going from that first pilot of the cage and creating a series off of it is what they're essentially doing. And you're just ignoring the fact that that you know uh Star Trek with Kirk even happened. Right, because it all comes before that, and so they're just taking that original pilot from 55 years ago and creating a series from it. It's the longest gestation from series from pilot to series there's there's ever been, and it's not direct. I mean, certainly you you don't look at that and go, "Wow, this seems just like that pilot." I mean, there's certainly elements to it they took they they took the Enterprise, they took Pike, they took number one, they took Spock but then everything else is essentially changed from that pilot um, but then i think i think grabbing mbanga was an interesting creative choice cuz he was a character that existed but n- not in that original pilot but he would show up later on the series and saying okay let's make him into a main character so yeah
4: mbanga was was in the original series
1: yeah I don't know he was in he was in everyone's saying he was in two episodes uh yeah I
2: remember the character he always wore that blue
1: the shiny blue with short sleeves yeah yeah, oh, yeah I think I remember now yeah he's the one who in Spock I think it was e- it was either when Spock got shot or when the thing stung Spock in the back I can't remember which thing it was but Spock had to get woken up and uh, as a as a uh Vulcan they take themselves so deep into their state of of like a induced coma that they'll just die unless someone brings them out of it and so then he had to slap his face over and over again and uh Chapel is going what are you doing what are you doing you, you can't you're attacking you know Spock or whatever and he's like no they have to do this he has to come back now and and Spock then grabs his hand in mid-swing at one point and says, no, I'm, that's enough. But essentially thanks him for it. I mean, I don't think he actually thanks him, but he says he did the correct yeah, thing. Yeah, at least... You remember that? Him. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's. I think that's... that the one with the pancakes?
1: It could, it could be. It could be. It's either, like I said, it's either that one or the one where he got shot in... Uh, Private little war. I think he got shot and almost died, and I can't remember what, one of those two where he's almost dead and they have to bring him back. And, yeah, but it, this he was known as the they mentioned as these. He did an internship on Vulcan or something. He has some background knowledge from Vulcan that other people don't, and I i think on this they play that up a little bit on his character in this too. So yeah, interesting so yet another character that they can't really kill off or anything because supposedly he's going to be around in Kirk's era. So, I mean, they have, they have a number of characters they can't really mess with. But they still have a number of characters they can. I mean, Erica and Lawn and uh, even Una, like we said, they never really established what happens to her. If anything, they tied themselves more into that she's going to be around seven years from this last episode. Being saying that she's in the future, but she's locked up for the seven years. Um Oh, let, let's go to that. What do you think? What do you think they're going to do with Una? Are they writing her off the show now that they they had her get locked up at the end of this
4: episode, or do you think? I think they're just creating something for next season for him to go to bat for her and get her back or something. So, yeah,
1: I was telling Bob, I think it's going to be like Measure of the Man episode in next gen where the car where are where someone's trying to take data and saying that data is owned by starfleet and so he wants to uh his men will take him apart take him apart and see how he works and then maybe make a whole army of them and and uh Guinan talks to picard and says well that isn't that more of a race and talks about slavery and things and then Picard brings that up in the trial and it's a really well done episode. Um, and so I, I could handle an episode where Pike is the counsel or something for Una and, and has to do a courtroom. I mean, there's always been cool courtroom episodes on Star Trek, and they never have done one in this series. So it would make
2: total sense to do a courtroom one. I think we should have Enterprise go to the penal colony. They beam down inside, and then they spring her out of jail, and they fire phasers on the planet. It's, yeah, it'd be great. And then they like they become like rogues and have to like leave Star Trek fleet and go off into the universe. That's that's how I'm gonna write it. That's it's, it
4: it's, it's and bomb. they create a multiverse and they call it the Empire. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. You know, one thing I was was kind of strange though, so now you say that Mpenga was there on the original series. So he was subordinate to McCoy on the original series. So... I have to
1: go back and look at them. Either that or he was like a visiting doctor sort of thing or something. There was some reason they had... He was...
4: Yeah. Yeah, because it, it seems kind of strange why, you know, because now he's the the head guy on the Enterprise, and all of a sudden...
1: He well, be they've been right. saying that he'd have to be, like, demoted or something.
2: I find he seemed more like a... To me, he seemed like, like, more like a specialist. Yeah. Like, you got your GP, which is McCoy, and then you got this guy's, like, a specialist. I don't know.
1: Because I, I would think maybe you could have him go off and, be, and decide that he wants to specialize in Vulcan stuff and leave the ship, and then McCoy comes and takes over... And then that would make sense from coming back and knowing more about him. And I don't know. Like I say, I'd have to watch those episodes and see how they talk to him, whether it's as a, it's he's definitely a doctor. So at the time, so, I mean, he's either a colleague.
4: He's just not the ship's surgeon or anything. Yeah, not the chief medical officer. No. So you're basically, you're saying since you haven't watched those and you don't know, you haven't pre- properly prepared yourself.
1: Yeah, properly prepared myself for a question you asked out of the blue. Yes, I have not. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Assuming you knew this whole time that I'm been there. <laughs> I've been on Star Trek before. But, yeah. No, Yeah. It, it, it's interesting to see how they're going to get these people placed in the right positions, like you're saying. Is is Scotty going to show up next season? Is Scotty going to show up four seasons from now? And We have a bunch of different engineers between here and there. I, I don't know.
2: Yeah, he had a little cameo. This one, you just never saw him. You saw his hand. Yes, Yeah, <laughs> and a red sleeve.
1: His <laughs> red sleeve. And then – and you heard his – voice, you know, talking to Spock or whatever,
4: but that was funny. Well, so that that means then that Scotty must be on the Enterprise prior to Kirk coming on board then. Right? It wouldn't mean that. It, it means
1: that seven years from now, seven years from, right, forward, he was on the ship with or without Kirk, right? But he could have gone on there six years ago. He, I mean from now he could go on there. We have no idea. They didn't they didn't box themselves into too much of a hole.
4: That's that's true. Because they say that the that everything in this episode happened six months after the accident. Yes. And so that happened six months after the accident. So that kind of goes back to the whole Kirk thing. And it's like, you know, if Kirk if Pike got injured 6 months before and then Kirk became the captain of the Enterprise right you know Kirk would still have whatever his normal personality is and everything else yeah at that point 6 months on being in charge of the Enterprise is not going to really charge, change the No
1: so, and we said who is he going to bring with him in things like you're saying it could have from a different ship or someone he he could bring as his, his uh, engineer Scotty with him. It could be that Scotty's already on the ship. They can. They've never really established ever who who he came with or that he brought certain crew members across, so that they can have a whole ship could essentially be by the end of this run of this series could be all set up where your chief, where your engineer is Scotty, where your her is your communication, where Sulu is your navigator. Everybody's in place except for. You know, for for Kirk in that last season or last couple seasons of of SNW. Now, I wouldn't think they would go that route. I would think they would want to introduce some people coming across with Kirk and things. He brings a his bridge crew with him or something. I don't
4: know. well yeah, that would be kind of interesting if they did end this series on Pike being injured and Kirk taking over or something like that. Right. You know, if they went that far. And I think, see, I might have to
1: check more into it and things, but I think Pike didn't leave because he was injured. He left to go work at the academy. When he worked at the academy, he was working there for three months or six months or something, and then got injured at the academy, saving a bunch of
4: cadets. Oh, was that at the academy? That I that- think so, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I was thinking it was on Starship. No, so I think
1: that's how this all plays out. And when he leaves to go to the academy is when Kirk takes over. So theoretically, they could
4: yeah could each tough. other and for the handoff piece.
1: Well,
4: it could be at any point. I mean, we don't know. Pike could have been at the academy for two, three, four, five years. For all we
1: know. No, they didn't play it. No, they we know. They 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 said like how long he was at the academy and it wasn't that long. And we know when Kirk takes over the enterprise and things, we know the, the star dates and things. So they the fans the fans unlike us who really know what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we know how this all plays out. <laughs> we just sort of go along for the ride and go, Oh yeah, that makes sense.
4: We'll just make it up as we go along.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but I do think that's the other thing that threw me when this, ep- I mean, I know I don't know my timelines that well, and I know that people have told me things, you know, like I didn't really want to believe what they were telling me. I wanted there to be 10 years still left for Pike, but he got short changed three of those in this episode, you know, in from my way of looking at it, because they said it was seven years in the future that he had his accident. So I'm like, oh, now we've only got seven years to play with, where
4: I thought we had 10. And that, well, originally it was ten, but then he like he took the sabbatical and all of that stuff, right? He, I'm not
3: sure.
1: I know that I thought it. I thought that it was three years after the after the Cage pilot that he had the uh, that he went on to the discover that he joined Discovery for that season, right? And so, and I knew that Kirkin said that the cage episode happened 13 years earlier in the, in the Menagerie episode. He said it 13 years ago was when Pike was running the ship, sort of thing. And, and they had this adventure, Talos IV. And so putting that all together, I was like, okay, so three years, then he does the discovery, then he has 10 years left. But what people were telling me is, no, it was three years and then a couple of years more before he did the Discovery thing. So it really was five years. Then Discovery was a year, essentially. So that's six. So then there was only seven years left until the accident.
4: And which is... I, weird, I, think, they're, I think they're wrong on that. Yeah. In, in the Discovery episode he saw his future that was 10 years in the future in the Discovery episode, right? Didn't they? I think they said that it was 10 years. Did
1: they? Um, it makes
4: I, sense. I mean, that's that was where my timeline was. Yeah. Yeah, because I think they did say it was 10 years. So, you know, 10 years, okay, so then he's got more time on Discovery counting down on that. Right. Then he takes his sabbatical. Yeah, uh,
1: but why, if you've got a, t- a narrow timeline, why do you play around with him taking a sabbatical? Why, I mean, a sabbatical be it's a sabbatical of six months or three months, it doesn't have to be a three year,
4: it, it, but it could be a year, a year on discovery. A year yeah, that. now he's been on this back on the ship for about a year or whatever, so now we're three years into, yeah, year period.
1: It just makes our timeline feel tight. Like this captain, I really, really like.
4: I mean, I, I
1: assume we're only going to get five seasons of this thing. Yeah, it's not like I, they
4: not like they're gonna. Happen. Well,
1: they say a five-year mission at the beginning of it, which kind of makes you go, oh, "Geez, that kind of <laughs> nails it down to five years, maybe." But I was just hoping we get seven seasons out of this; would be lovely. Which, is,
2: which means gonna, gonna they're, gonna have, they're gonna have fifty episodes, and the original did eighty. Right. F- That's 50- why I wanted
1: them to have seven because they have seven. They'd at least have seventy episodes, right? Close to the original. Um. At 50, it's like, oh, man. But I guess we enjoy what we get. And, you know, hopefully, I hope every year that they decide, this is just too popular. We need to have 15 episodes a season or 12 or 13 or something like Discovery has had. Discovery definitely had more than 10. But now they say all their series are going to 10. So Discovery is going to be 10 this next season. Uh, Picard's always been 10. The... Um but I think Picard they may, I think they may have said they might have given an extra couple of episodes this last season, this next season, to fit in all the next-gen stories that they want to tell and stuff with the next-gen cast, so we'll see but uh, Prodigy is going to be 10, Lower Decks has always been 10, so that's what they want what I mean, is what it is, but I like more more, more, more,
2: more. More, more.
1: Yes. I mean, I don't need 26. I don't need, I don't even want 26. I mean, I don't want, because then you start suffering quality, but you would think you could have, if you can have 10 good episodes, you can have 12 or 13. 15 probably pushing it, but anyway. But I enjoyed it. It's been a good series so far and, and lived up to all my expectations and exceeded them in some ways, so very happy with it I just uh, oh I know for next season what what tuning up would you do what would you change? I'd say to me more una which hopefully they will address we'll see um, I would I, I I'd like to see at some point an Erica focused episode or a and or a chapel focused episode. Um, i think that might happen i think they might bring chapel's love interest to a read that doctor
2: i forget what his name is mega no corbin
1: corbin, corbin that's corbin. it
2: Coy. yeah
1: dr corbin that's in the what episode is is he from
2: what Little girls are made of where he has he makes the robots and actually he's a robot in terms Right. Of the right that's
1: right And uh, so they need, because she needs to, theoretically, if you're going to follow canon, she needs to get engaged to him, but not married to him. And then he has to go off and be involved in his work. And then the next time she sees him is on the episode, on the, you know, the original Star Trek episode, Um, which would, if she got engaged to somebody, would throw a monkey wrench into her sort of on again off again's flirtation with Spock, right?
4: Why it doesn't stop in?
1: Well no, no, I'm just saying it would it would alter things. But if it was me, I'd keep playing on this whole Spock thing with her and maybe bring Corbin in season three or season four or something.
4: Was it so, wasn't he Ian he was in an episode called the, the Corbin Knight maneuver or something like that. No, no he's not okay. <laughs> that wasn't that one that was close <laughs> that was that was
2: I'm so sort of Tranya. I hope you relish it as much as I yeah <laughs> you
4: think, you it's know, Rana, well, was, he gets Rana. frozen in Corbinite that's what it is
3: yeah <laughs> yes. yes. yes
1: yes I do think they should bring the Tranya <laughs> guy back they did bring him back in the actor in uh uh, Discovery Season 1. Yeah, you can
2: uh, meet
1: uh, uh, Clint, Clint Howard. Uh, Clint Howard. Yeah, Ron Howard's he brother. didn't even come back as as the, you know, an adult version of <laughs> not that <laughs> character, but but from that species or something and have him bump into him or something. Because he's one of the few people that are still alive <laughs> that were on the original at some point. He'd be
2: like, I still love Tranya. I hope you delicious Just
1: <laughs> have him act the exact same way. <laughs> <Not just that. laughs> I,
2: I, well, I, probably can't say this on camera, my friends. What were the things of that episode?
1: Okay, let's, let's not let's leave <laughs> <it>. But anyway. <laughs> Uh I think we'll let people go if if uh unless we have more ground to cover, but uh oh I was saying things to improve for next season that I went through my list, but Jim, Bob, did you guys have anything that you think next season they could fine-tune or make better?
4: No, I think just keep going the same way they've been going. Yeah. I just hope they're not gonna make the the Gorn, the, the big evil villain that they deal with all the time yeah
1: it wouldn't surprise me if they do um but i do think being called strange new worlds they pretty much need to get out there and find more strange new worlds um they did some of that this season i think they need to do more of that uh then the other piece just throwing out and this is more for criticism from you guys trying to trying to solve things for you guys a little more
4: you want criticism? Your, no, I no, saying
1: for next year that, that maybe their writing needs to be tightened up a little bit more and when they're dealing with canon to either jettison it and go to a completely different alien we've never run into and they don't have to worry about canon or think about the implications of what they're doing and either keeping it closer to the way the character, the species has been portrayed in the past or like I say, change to a different species or something because you can't keep messing with canon and keep people happy. Obviously, people get pissed off at everything with canon. Um, you know, and at some point, I mean, story always outweighs canon to me. If story is better, then you do with to go with the story. But but if you look at it, and you go, okay, we've made this better, we made this more interesting. But then you have to say, Okay, would it lose anything if we change the race to be some race we've never run into? And if it doesn't. Then change the race, and yeah, and that's that's adds, what I was
4: saying about that last episode. Yeah, it just adds
1: to your diversity. If if they ran into yeah. another race, it ties into that whole strange new worlds, right, and and new creatures and new civilizations and all that, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think that idea would have been a simple one, and it would have made it, and no one would have been sitting here going, "Oh, they're too much like the Gorn." It's like, so there there's going to be reptile people, and there's going to be Wow, dinosaurs, people, and all—you know—I would think all sorts of different strange stuff. So,
4: yeah, I mean, they could done the go on more like the original episode where they're fairly humanoid, but have more—you know—lizard kind of looks to them and and stuff like that. And then they would have fit more right. somebody you would think would be a you know like, face faring race. Well, wait,
2: wait. I'm trying to cut Jim off. He's not letting like me. <laughs> <laughs> uh- They haven't done any like insectoid races, right? They could do that because there's like supposedly pre-man, just like alien UFO creatures that people supposedly see. They could do that. That would be interesting. Or Bigfoot.
4: Bigfoot. They could could run into Bigfoot in space. (laughs) I
1: was just going to say the same thing, Jim. You're (laughs) the same mindset. (laughs) Chewy, that's Chewy. It
4: it could just be a just be a cameo. You know, so <laughs> on some planet, and then you could see this this big foot character in the background walking and then stops and turns and looks at him and then just keeps on walking. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome like a
4: film. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> if they just threw something like that into the background and didn't even you know talk about it or anything else, and people would be like, What did I just see? <laughs> <laughs> that'd
1: be great. That'd be funny. All right. Uh, yeah, and and I think uh Continuing to work humor in and stuff, I think is a great thing. I, I mean, essentially, just keep doing what, going like Jim says, keep doing what they're doing. They've been doing a pretty darn good job of it.
3: Yeah. So
2: I, I, they got to fix the Una yeah. yeah.
4: Just no more episodes like the the girls fantasy book thing. That one was by far the worst one in the season.
1: Says you. It's one of my favorites so And that's okay. you can have ones that some people like and some people don't like
4: Yeah,
1: because just because don't make it hates it
4: so some yeah, people have bad taste and yeah, don't like anything <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well I mean like there's a original episodes like the lights of what is it, the lights of Zatar, or Zatar. Bob, would you agree that's a bad episode?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's not great for sure
1: okay. I don't think there's many people that say that's in one of their one of their favorite episodes. I, I mean, I suppose if you're a big Scotty fan, because that was a Scotty-centric episode um, where he was going to marry this girl or whatever, but, uh, but I would say there's certain episodes where everybody pretty much agrees that the originals were not great episodes. I mean, the weird silent episode with Jem or whatever that, that is third season...
2: Yeah, that wasn't great either. That wasn't right.
1: So, uh, but this series, like anything that's been off or where you guys haven't liked it or whatever, there's a ton of people that are like, oh, that's one of my favorites, you know? And so that's just balance and that's okay. I mean, but if you have an episode where all your writers in the writers' room are going, oh, this episode really kind of sucks, well, then stop writing that episode and work on something else. It's like, you know. But when you have twenty six episodes, it's like, is it written? Great, let's use it. We'll film it. Doesn't matter.
3: It's <laughs> yeah. like
1: yeah. they can't all be gems. It's like, uh, well, obviously, the gem one was not a gem. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> all right, gentlemen, have yourselves a good week. Uh, enjoyed this se- this series. It's been great, and hopefully, it keeps on being great. So, all right, thanks.
6: This week in the Ready Room, I embark on an away mission for a very special Strange New World Season 1 finale discussion with our pointy-eared pal Ethan Peck and executive producer Henry Alonzo Myers from the set of Season 2. And since I was there, I took a tour of the Enterprise's newest hangout spot. General Quarters! It all starts now. Hey, nerds, I'm Will Wheaton, and this is The Ready Room, your official behind-the-scenes hub for all things Star Trek universe. Well, we did it. We have reached the end of Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1, and I, for one, not exactly ready to say goodbye. It's a shame we can't talk to future versions of ourselves, who have already seen Season 2, to tell us what we can look forward to. I mean, I can talk to future versions of myself, but, but you can't, and I don't want you to feel bad about that. Uh, Which reminds me, future you is going to be very unhappy if you don't heed this red alert. If all this discussion to future selves has you wondering if you're in a self-help guru session of the Ready Room, let me say I'm flattered, but no. This is a direct reference to this week's finale episode. And the only life advice I'm qualified to give is that you go stream the finale episode before returning here to partake in all the spoilers. Got it? Great. Now we can all delve into Captain Pike's life decisions and stop thinking about our own. This week, I am so thrilled to be traveling to the set of Strange New World season two, where I get to speak with Ethan Peck and executive producer and writer Henry Alonzo Myers about the season finale, A Quality of Mercy, which, Dang, that title alone is full of Easter eggs, including both a William Shakespeare reference and a reference to an episode of The Twilight Zone starring a young Leonard Nimoy. How cool. To take further advantage of my away mission to Toronto, I convinced the powers that be to let me have a look around at a brand new set that will feature heavily in season two. And of course, you get to come along with me. So later, we'll be headed into the kind of future with this glimpse into next season. But first, the shot-for-shot moments of the finale that mirror the original series episode, Balance of Terror, were jaw-dropping. If you haven't streamed the two episodes side-by-side just to see how much they align, I highly recommend it. I did it, and it is so cool. But before you do that, we got to talk with the executive producers and the cast about what went into making this alternate version of a legendary Star Trek episode. Control room! Engage.
2: Enterprise, can you see? We're a mile deep on an asteroid. Almost solid iron. Even through our deflectors, it did this. The first
0: time I read this season finale, I initially thought, this is sounding familiar.
2: <laughs> We're a mile deep on an asteroid. Almost solid iron.
0: And then I started to realize, I think I've seen this before. It's such a cool idea to take one of the most beloved episodes from the original and look at it, not not as a recreation, but what would have happened in this situation had a different captain been in the place of Kirk.
7: Balance of Terror is one of my absolute favorite original Trek episodes. I remember just having this idea, like, wouldn't it be cool to be able to revisit this? And there's a history in Trek of doing that kind of thing. Uh, On Deep Space Nine, they did uh, Trials and Tribulations, which is an episode where they revisited Trouble with Tribbles. In talking with Akiva about it, we were discussing how, you know, here we are on the original Enterprise. What if we could find a way to put our characters in the situation that they're in in Balance of Terror, only updating it with our contemporary visual effects, our new actors, our different approach to character. That is sort of where it started. Is this some kind of- joke? No. How am I supposed to believe that I'm really you? You ever gonna let me get a word in edgewise? We wanted to do a time travel episode, because that's another essential Star Trek genre. We had this idea, which is a classic sci-fi idea. What if your future self comes back and tells you not to do something? This is end of the world stuff. And Christmas Carol style, he is transported into his future body and gets to experience the mistake. Captain? What was I saying? Um, that since the age of wooden
3: ships...
0: All shipmasters have had one happy privilege. Right. Part of that was a, basically a hat trick of trying to steal the camera language and blocking an some of the lighting from not just that era, but from that specific episode. So we had the original episode that we were referring to as we were blocking some of those scenes. I remember wanting to nail a recreation of Kirk's first entrance to the bridge.
7: We actually pulled, you know, uh, text from the original episode and found all these places to plant it in.
8: And if the Romulans are an offshoot of my Vulcan blood, and I think this likely, then
7: attack is indeed the only option. One of my favorites, uh, probably an iconic moment, where Mark Leonard in the original series says,
8: "In a different reality,
7: I could have called you friend." And we have that same moment happening, but with Pike.
0: In a different reality, I could have called you friend.
7: The meaning is completely twisted. It's changed uh, largely because the person in the captain's chair is Pike and not Kirk.
8: His heading is now 111, mark 14. The exact heading a Romulan vessel would take, Jim. Getting an episode that's kind of a reconstruction or a reinterpretation is, again, like another huge challenge because up until episode 10, I, Ethan Peck, have been embodying this younger version of Spock, which we've kind of discussed as being a little more emotional as he, again, is trying to find this balance between human and Vulcan. For episode 10, we had discussed him being much more Vulcan, much more logical, much more Stentorian and sort of Monolithic is a word I love to use when describing Spock and, I hope, my work as him. It's fortunate that it was at the end of the season once I've kind of gotten more comfortable and we found, I think, a bit of a groove in the production.
0: Did Outpost 4 say anything else about the attacking vessel?
9: No identification, sir. No identification, sir. When I read the finale script and realized that we were going to be flash-forwarding several years and I was going to sit at the TOS position where comms is right behind the uh, command chair. That was incredible. I got chills the first time I read it, because it was like, oh, I get to wear her green earrings and get her nails right. I didn't get the beehive for the final episode, but I'll survive without it. Who's handling us? Their captain, James Kirk.
7: Alex and I thought that it would be an interesting thing to bring Jim Kirk into the last episode of Strange New Worlds. That was always the plan. We had no idea how we were going to do it. And then Henry really sort of bore down on this idea of the retelling of Balance of Terror, and it became this really wonderful way of uh, letting in a a Jim Kirk, who's not the Jim Kirk we know.
0: Quite the ship you got here. He's, he's jealous.
7: <laughs> There's a little bit of flexibility here
0: because he's actually not the captain of the Enterprise. He's never met Spock. He doesn't have those allies, and so he he doesn't necessarily have to be the version of Captain Kirk on the Enterprise because he hasn't had the same experiences. Working with Anson's great, he's such a veteran actor. There's a great juxtaposition between the two guys, Pike and Kirk. You tried for something better. Tried and lost. And somehow the differences between the two of them actually end up sinking quite nicely. And by the end of the episode, they have a deep respect for one another. If you had just chased that Romulan ship from the get-go and taken it out, maybe none of this would have happened. Fire! You're a good captain, Junker.
7: I think you might see him back uh, next year as the younger version. You thinking of retiring? No. <laughs> oh,
0: no. No, not yet.
6: For the season one finale of Strange New Worlds, it was only fitting that we go big. Now listen, full disclosure, I am geeking out as badly as I have geeked out since I was maybe 15 years old and walked onto the bridge of my enterprise. I am here in Toronto. I am in Captain Pike's quarters with Henry Alonzo Myers and Ethan Peck. You guys, come on. (laughs) This is amazing. Um, Congratulations on finishing up your first season. does it feel to know that
8: it's in the world now?
7: I mean, it's crazy for me. I, I mean, I, probably it's been a longer process for you. It's just been a marathon for me.
8: Yeah, it's, it's wild because we made this thing in such isolation. I mean, last season was super challenging with the yeah. pandemic. Yeah, And um, we couldn't have a lot of the executives on set, which we normally do. And so yeah. there's a part of you wondering like, is this working? Is this, yeah. are we gelling? Because you're putting together a whole new cast. And, um, we kind of plowed through that first season and, and came pretty directly into the second season.
7: We did, yeah. I mean, I didn't get to visit, I didn't even come to Toronto to set until the finale. Uh, yeah, really? right, yeah, because, of, because of COVID restrictions, and yeah. I was just dealing with prep and everything. I did everything over Zoom. That's yeah. a trip. Except, I, and then I would text people like, hey, <laughs> I was getting notes from you yes, through text. Exactly. Someone's like,
8: hey, uh, Henry wants you to, <laughs> I'm like, where's Just Henry? Try not to be too <laughs>
6: intrusive. But... You raised a really interesting point that I hadn't considered. When, when you all started your first season, um, it was pre-vaccine. Yeah. And, and I've talked with a lot of your castmates about the challenges inherent to that. It hadn't occurred to me that you're a cast coming together. And that is extremely important. I've been part of that a few times in my career. And the chemistry and the interpersonal relationships that you develop when the cameras aren't rolling are so incredibly important to informing your characters. Was it extra challenging to find that when you were
8: under those restrictions? Super challenging because we weren't really permitted to spend time with each other off of set. And as soon as we step off of the set, we had these shields to put on that basically protected our makeup but was yeah. essentially a covid precaution yeah. and um even just having that up was very sort of distancing and, and strange right. and distorting uh yeah. socially and so yes yeah, it was really awkward in a lot of ways
6: it's so interesting to me to know that because it doesn't read that way at all i mean you so you theory. all feel like a crew that's been together for a minute and, and the history and the, the existing relationships between the different characters feel really organic to me and feel like they have existed for a really long time. That is a, a real credit to all of you. Let's talk about specifically the finale. Um, I know that I am not the only Star Trek nerd in the world who finished watching it and immediately went to my Star Trek library to pull Balance of Terror <laughs> off the shelf and, and, and watch it. I'm just very curious to know, did you get in, did you touch Balance of Terror at all when you were prepping this? Did the did the cast and crew do that or did you leave it alone so this could be its thing?
8: Uh, I'll answer that and then I want to hear your yeah, answer yeah. to this question. Um, so we we were shown, Chris Fisher directed this episode yeah. um, and we had some like reference um, moments from Balance of Terror that we watched. I've seen it a couple of times. Yeah. Um, I, I try- keep
6: forgetting that you're a Star Trek fan too. I, I just
8: keep forgetting <laughs> that. <laughs> um, but I try not to like uh, be too fresh on the material we're kind of revisiting just because I, wanted, I want to have my own take on it and it be something yeah. really authentic and original to me. So yes. we definitely did have like reference scenes and, and moments in that episode that we would watch before executing, yeah. which was very cool.
7: Bounce of Terror was, is one of my absolute favorite episodes. What it worked for this was, it was kind of a perfect encapsulation of how Pike could deal with his fate. What it leads to is this moment of self-sacrifice and the thing that, that does it, the thing that really changes it for him, is Spock's fate is uh, altered in a, for, a, for, for much worse, and that this actually has a huge you know, uh, effect on the future of the galaxy. Ethan, Spock and Pike have this really wonderful, heartfelt
6: moment um, when, when Pike says, "Like I'm not trading my future for your future.
0: Let's just say I think the universe is telling me that some fates are inescapable. And even if I could get out of mine,
6: it might just fall to someone else. Someone do you know? Yes. Seeing the origins of Pike and Spock's relationship uh, start to play out is deeply gratifying. Uh, do you have a similar experience as you are discovering these parts of the relationship and this and this part of Spock?
8: Yeah, absolutely. I, I find that there's a tenderness between the two of them, sort mm. of a, a softness. Um, that I think is so essential when you're, I mean, Anson's called it like, it's like a military outfit, right? This Mm -hmm. is uh, an organized, structured thing that has a great deal of formality to it. And I think to have that sort of tenderness between two men is really wonderful and and essential. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you probably, if you went and looked in the world and and visited different uh, groups fighting battles or Uh, Maintaining a similar sort of posture and demeanor, you would find uh, that that's a reality of of their situations as well. And so I think it really grounds it, because you're not just, you know, uh, shooting photons and solving math problems. It's there's there's a lot more to uh, to life on the enterprise. And I think that's really we
7: we do do that a lot.
8: We do do a lot of that. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, I think it's just a very uh, uh, essential and, and grounding part of this world. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I so enjoy those moments because most of the time um, uh, Pike's asking Spock to explain gravitational redshift or something. <laughs> sure. And we're, getting, we're about to be blown to smithereens. and Yeah. Um, so it's really great to have a little break from that and connect and sort of get into the uh, underlying emotion effect of all of these things that they're doing together.
7: The, the emotional Spock scenes are my favorite. And the, the scene at the end of this uh, where they have that unspoken moment where Spock realizes somehow that pike has done something for him
8: i believe i may owe you a debt of gratitude captain although for precisely what i do not know it's you are you are very important to me as are you to me
2: captain such a great scene. It's
8: that, like I love I you, mean, man. Yeah. I love you too, man. That's yeah. I
7: gotta yeah. I gotta give Akiva credit for that scene because he that was his his vision for that scene. Nice I I loved it. I th- I think it's it's a perfect scene and it is absolutely about explaining why Spock in you know the menagerie yeah. does what he does.
6: Yeah. Ethan, this week, is the very first time we see Kirk and Spock together in Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Like that is I'm sure I'm not telling anyone anything they don't already know, <laughs> kind of a big deal. Yeah. I got from your Spock, I don't know about this Kirk guy, he's kind of a hothead. That's <laughs> what I read. What I read was like if this Spock, what I read from Spock was this dude needs to calm down. Like that's <laughs> what I read from Spock. Did I make all of that up? Was any of that intentional in your performance?
8: In my mind, Pike to Spock is kind of like he's, he's kind of like a father uncle older brother figure all wrapped in one i I saw him as that in many ways yeah and he's very reasonable and has a lot of integrity and here comes this super arrogant guy who's um in conflict with my captain's problem solving yeah and um, i think you're absolutely right that, that 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 is there for spock in this episode um and there's actually only the one scene where we where we speak right yeah if you'll excuse me i wish to supervise the repair of the phaser array personally
7: Captain. Captain. We really wanted to have that moment. Yeah. It's just, it, it,
3: like, it's, <laughs> it's just like- A flirtation like, with it. I,
7: oh, I know, like, I just
6: know that other people had the same reaction I had, We were just like, this is amazing, I wanna watch <laughs> it, I it was such a great moment. I'm sure you know this, but like, out in the world, this show is beloved and it's on its way to being one of the absolute, like it's very much on its way to being like one of the legendary Star Trek shows. And if you wanted to talk to fans at all, if you just wanted to like communicate a thing to people who just,
8: I cannot overstate how much they adore what you're doing. Like is there anything at all you wanna to say to them? I'm just so incredibly grateful that people are watching it and enjoying it. Someone asked me like, why do you think the show's good? It was a friend of mine and I was like, I you I, it's hard to describe. I think you hit like a critical mass of people that give a f- give an f. Yeah. And um, I don't know whether it's sixty-two percent or sixty-three percent of people that like really care. And then it just all kind of comes together well. Like you can't have, um, you know, one or two figureheads that are like really special and brilliant and have vision for it. If the people below them don't sort of fall into that, it's a team. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I have a question for you if you don't mind. Of course. What was it like getting cast on TNG? Like,
6: you were a fan before
8: that, right? Yeah.
6: I was a huge fan of Star Trek, and when I found out a new Star Trek was being made, I just, uh, I, I could not believe that I got the audition. So when I found out that I was actually cast, and that I was going to now be part of this thing that I've loved forever, and it's gonna be part of me for the rest of my life, I was 14 when that happened i turned 50 in a couple of months and it was probably three years ago ish that i had enough time and distance and space to go oh my god man like what an incredible thing to do and be part of yeah and that i get to do this now that i get to still (laughs) be part of it and 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 that you know like they just I can't imagine another acting career where you are part of a franchise and then 30 years later you get to go back and take a different role.
7: That's the like weird, amazing thing about Star Trek, which is that it's this, it's like a collective dream. Instead of a thing that you come in and say, I'm imagining it from beginning to end, like someone hands it to you and you sort of say, okay, well now it's my turn to imagine it for a little while and then at some point, you're gonna hand it to the next person. So you sort of, you know, no one person has ownership of it. Yeah. And you sort of have to, if you know that and respect that and enjoy that, like it makes the process a lot more fun.
6: Let's talk briefly about season two without spoiling things. <laughs> Let's get people excited with, with, without getting me fired. <laughs> um, is there anything at all you want to tease to the audience oh, yeah. about season two. <laughs> um, uh, 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 well. Ethan, I'm going to I'm going to honor the actors. Uh, don't get me in trouble. Compact and uh, direct this question a hundred percent to Henry, <laughs> who you. is on that side
7: of the line. Well, here's what I'll say. Uh, uh, we we endeavored not to play it safe. Great. We endeavored to try to um, make the show. We are trying to do a version of the show that you have become familiar with, but we're trying to do a bigger, crazier, more ambitious okay. version—one that I don't think we could have done season one—and yeah. uh, one of which, you know, we're we are uh, working very, very hard to achieve in season two. Um, there are a bunch of threads that are, you know, up in the air at the end of the season. Obviously, mm-hmm. we don't know where Lana is. Number one uh, is in prison. Um, uh, you know, there's a what the hell is going to happen to them? Yeah. Uh, uh, we will answer all those questions. Great. Uh, we're going to see uh, more of uh, uh, Spock's love life. Um, awesome. Let me see what else. A little can more I to Pring, here? maybe. Uh, a little more to Pring. We're going to see. Uh, we're going to see Trek. G- I will say this. Okay. We're going to see Trek do something that it's never done before. Amazing. Uh, uh, I would say that with I'm gonna say that and keep it vague but like I promise you it's a thing that's never happened on trek before and we're gonna do it.
6: I really appreciate both of you making time to sit with me today. Um, thank you for welcoming me into your ship. Um, <laughs> it's this been is, our uh, honor. This is, this is the second enterprise I've ever been in um, and it's pretty great. <laughs> so thanks for that. Thank you so much. Thank you. In the original series episode, Balance of Terror, the Romulan commander is played by guest star Mark Leonard, who also plays what famous recurring Star Trek character? A, Tuvok, B, Kor, C, Sarek, or D, Cybok? Don't boldly go anywhere. Stay tuned for the answer. That conversation was just so special and so awesome. It had me feeling simultaneously torn to be completely geeking out over this week's epic finale while also feeling so, so, so excited for season two of Strange New Worlds. I can report to all of you that from what I saw during my visit to Toronto and the little spoilers that people kind of accidentally dropped around me, we are in for an amazing second season. Don't worry, I'm not going to keep all the season two secrets to myself, just the biggest one. I got a special tour of an all-new Enterprise set. It's called the Port Galley, and it is amazing. As the new happening hangout spot for the crew, it seems only fitting that we all get to check it out together. Take a look. So walking down the corridors of this Enterprise is weirdly familiar to me, and it's not because I watch it on TV. Like, there is a There is an emotional and physical sense memory of my Enterprise that wakes up when I come through here. So, we are standing in front of your brand new
5: set. The port galley. This is our new baby. There's something very exciting on the other side of this door. I think we should go in and I think you should press the button. That was everything I wanted it to be. (laughs)
6: The centerpiece here is this gorgeous bar that is in the middle of the room. I really enjoyed the sets where the actors and their characters get
5: very intimate and we learn a lot about them. The only space we had for scenes like that in season one was the mess hall. Mm -hmm. And originally we were going to build the whole mess hall, but in the end we built it for AR. It's great, but it's difficult to schedule, and also we only have part of the set. However, when we spoke about what the set should be, one of the big things that we didn't want here were windows. Because the minute you have windows, you're into what it was seeing out the windows. Where are we in space? What's the planet that should be out there? You get into a million questions about it, and that's not what this set was about at all. Let's talk about these gorgeous works of art. I thought they were braziers, but I'm wrong. They are actually... Comets. So cool. For 102, I had to design a comet, and it was called Mahanit, and I found myself drawing comets, but these sketches were sort of lying around my drawing board, Then I just took one of those sketches and I just turned it through 90 degrees, and I went, you know what? That looks quite interesting. That works. So we took the comet drawing and just rendered it in real metal. We found a genius guy in Toronto in his workshop. He built them for us. Very excited about them. You mentioned that one of the
6: needs this room was meant to address was a quiet conversation area. And you yeah. specifically addressed this corner as yeah. a place that that could happen. And a few things about this corner just popped for me that I wanted to talk with you about. The first thing is these amazing 1960s chairs. I've seen them on the bridge, I see them in quarters, I'm like, oh,
5: yes, of course, that's what's on the Enterprise. That's right, the original series, they took these and other chairs and they actually yeah. added, they added a top section to them. Yeah. Uh, just to make them their, their own. Yeah. But I think they're incredibly elegant, just as they are. So coming in here a little bit more, I noticed that your tables
6: have this gorgeous, uh, soft, uh, kind of unfocused light. Our 10 Forward had this in all of our tables, and I loved working in there because I thought
5: that uplight always made me look cooler than I am. <laughs> it's a kind of language that goes for furniture and the set itself, and an enormous amount of time is spent at the drawing stage for the set. Yeah to make sure that we've got lighting built into the set so that where anybody stops, they can film them wherever they're standing. At every opportunity, as you can see, in the beams here, we're building in lighting. And if two people are around a table, then there's lighting from the table.
6: Let's take a closer look at your bar.
5: Yes, please do. You made a specific
6: design choice to put the bar in the center of this room rather than against the wall like it was in Hour 10 Forward. Talk to me about that design choice.
5: Where you have a bar against a wall, the camera can really only look in a limited number of directions. So I thought I'm gonna put the bar in the middle. That will allow us to play scenes in an almost infinite number of ways.
6: Let's come up here, tell me about, you described this as a cloud. Yeah.
5: Um, it's, which is gorgeous. I was on an aircraft carrier once. There were 5,000 people on this carrier and they never got to see daylight for weeks and weeks and weeks. I thought it'll be the same on the Enterprise. You're in the middle of space. you never see the, a blue sky or clouds. And I thought it'd be nice to have a cloud. Just a sense that some light is above you. Then when I shared it with uh, Glenn, the DP, Uh, He said, well that's gonna work for me. Wherever the actors are around the bar, I'm gonna be lighting them with that. There's an incredible lighting rig up there. They can play with the lighting. This is this bar's replicator. Is it like a
6: self-service replicator? Is that the idea? That's the idea. That's the intention behind this? You've
5: got an, an interactive panel here, so you can select what you want, and you stand back and through the magic of visual effects, it's going to appear here.
6: I have just realized that the part of me that is convinced that all of this is real refuses to lean on this because it's a replicator pad and I know they're delicate, which is silly but true. All right, so I'm thinking our last really big feature in this
5: room is behind me. It is this raised area. We had addressed the need for private conversations in corners, crew get-togethers, off-duty moments around the bar. Yep. So that was all covered. But I wanted it to also have a stage where we could have music, where we could have people giving speeches. With this set, the digital playback department and the motion graphics department, we got them involved very early on with these big digital art walls. So, and I must tell you, Henry Myers uh, gave me an interesting note from The Love Boat. He said his favorite- His favorite set on the love boat was the handrail at the side of the ship. So you have a bit of a handrail here. This is the love boat handrail. Henry's gonna kill me for saying that. I
6: clocked a very special bottle in your bar before we came over here. And on our way out, I just want to really handle it. (laughs) let's head over there. Over to you. Top shelf or hooch? Hooch, I think. Sorry, and brandy. It is. So this is sorry and brandy that we absolutely have to talk about. I don't know if anybody at home clocked this when I came in. Guinan shared this with Picard. I just wanted to be able to go home and tell my friends that I touched it. On, you've gotta leave on, it then. On, on the set here, I know, I will leave it. If you've it disappears, it. I had nothing to do with it, and we don't have to check my bags on my way back to California.
5: Security will be checking on the way
6: out. I just think it's a beautiful Easter egg yeah. for, for those of us who appreciate this sort of thing, and it also canonically makes sense. For we who are fans, when we
5: see things like this, it just makes us feel like, oh, you've rewarded us for our weird, obsessive nerdery. You know, Justin Craig, the uh, set decorator, and Jim Murray, the prop master, are brilliant at pulling us back and saying, don't forget what we're doing here. And they're pushing the Easter eggs the whole time. That's great. So I'm very grateful to them.
6: Thank you for, for everything you've done. Like it's just, your enterprise is great. Um, I've really appreciated it. And I know everybody at home has enjoyed it as well. So thanks a lot. My pleasure. In the original series episode, Balance of Terror, the Romulan commander is played by guest star Mark Leonard, who also plays what famous recurring Star Trek character? Tuvok, Kor, Sarek, or Cybok? And the answer is Sarek. After Balance of Terror, Mark Leonard returned in the episode Journey to Babel to play Sarek, Spock's father. He later returned in Star Trek The Motion Picture as a Klingon, earning him the distinction of being the only Star Trek actor to have played a Romulan, a Klingon, and a Vulcan over the course of the series. This is where I tell you that I have a sneak peek to show you from next week's Star Trek Strange New Worlds, but we're at the end of season one, so I have no sneak peek to show you. Still. I have to end this epic 29-week run of behind-the-scenes action in the ready room with something for you to hold on to, something to be excited about. Well, season three of Lower Decks is coming soon. So here's a look at a little bit of the hilarity that is in store for us.
3: <laughs>
10: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, vineyard flies. I <laughs> oh, hate being home.
9: Dude, are you even listening to what I'm telling you? The captain's getting railroaded, man. I have to do something before it's too late.
10: Well, count me in.
9: Really? Usually it takes way more convincing.
10: I'll do anything to get away from these raisins. It's already going to take me a month to get the smell out of my hair.
9: Hey, Bradward. Want to test the sweetness of my bushel?
10: Uh, fine, Genevieve. Just give it 43 more sun hours at 21 degrees, Brix.
9: Oh, Okay. Uh, when you said your family had vineyards, I just assumed it was for wine.
10: Oh, I wish. No, we Boimler is dry grapes. Just dry them and dry them and dry them till they're all shriveled and hopeless and stuck on Earth forever.
9: Bradward, all these varietals are so confusing. Take me to the privacy of the Pickery Shed and explain them to me. Come
10: on, Mandolina. Red goes in the red bucket, white in the white. You know that. How do they not see this as a setup? We were nowhere near Paclid Planet when it blew. I
9: mean, she was saving another ship for Kirk's sake. Okay, we know it doesn't track, but the ship's logs got corrupted by the Laperian debris field. It makes it look like she's covering something up.
10: Wait, so they just need our logs?
9: I have logs. No, we need the official senior staff logs, not like what you had for lunch.
10: No, no, no. My logs are crazy detailed. Every night I'd listen to the captains and re-record them for my own reference. What? Yeah, the official star dates, systems, personnel. It's all in there stored by my bunk. Oh my god, Boimler. Wait, that is
9: so nerdy and so clutch right <laughs> now. So, all we have to do is get your pads, oh. and we clear her name with some surprise evidence. Take that, conservative military Court.
10: <sighs> but we're grounded plus we don't even know where the cerritos is
9: it's in dry dock
10: yeah but which dry dock there's like a bajillion and besides they probably only kept on a small skeleton crew of engineers to help dock it and that's it
9: engineers <gasps> rutherford, rutherford!
6: <laughs> okay real talk When I first started hosting The Ready Room, I thought it was for one season of Star Trek Picard. I had no idea I would get to keep coming back to do more and more. I had no idea that there would be so many different Star Trek series airing one after the next. I had no idea that I'd get to come here for 30 weeks in a row to hang out with you and talk about this show that we love. Plus, this week marks my 50th installment as host of The Ready Room. I am, as always, Humbled and thrilled to join you in watching each new episode as it comes. And I am so grateful to the cast and the creatives who take the time to talk with me and show us what goes into bringing Star Trek to our screens. Real quick before we leave, a personal moment. Our producer Max has moved on to new things in his career. And we are so excited for him. We are thrilled for him. But he's been a huge part of Ready Room from very beginning. He is one of the persons who has put words in my mouth that you all tell me you are so happy to hear. So Max, we love you. Congratulations, we miss you. On behalf of everyone at Ready Room, go boldly into your new future. Until next time, I am Will Wheaton. Live long and prosper.